There's something about things that are really extreme that like you cannot take your eyes off the screen. I mean, when that guy is flying over that, that little, uh, they call it like a, a ditch or something like that. I can't remember, the crack, he's, he's riding the crack. That's the name of the video. He is, he's riding over that crack and he's like five feet off the ground. I'm like, this dude is gonna die. Like this is gonna be crazy. I just can't, like, you know, part of me wants to look away, but, like, you just really, really can't. Now, um, I got a picture. I don't want it up yet, but uh, my sister sent me this picture. She was eating ice cream uh, in Vero Beach, Florida last week, and she sent me this picture of something that she could not take her eyes off of no matter how desperately she wanted to. And I'm going to share this with you, but if you're squeamish, you might want to look away. Also, this might get me fired. I'm not sure. Right there. All right. Now, I don't want you to tell me if you own a pair of these pants. That's a man. That's a man. I'm just throwing it out there. I don't want to, I, that breaks all the dress code for the girls at our high schools. Like, it's crazy. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in this photo. But there's something strangely attractive. Well, maybe attractive is not the right word. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's something strangely attractive about people who just do things to the extremes, right? We, they just captivate our attention. And in fact, there's this book series, I don't know if you'd call it a series, it's been out for about 63 years that captivates this audience. And it's known as the Guinness Book of World Records. So we're going to look at uh, four, kind of weird, uh, Guinness Book of World Records uh, current holders, okay? This is Nick Stowerberl. Nick has the world's longest tongue, <laughs> all right? So an average tongue is about four inches like from the back of your throat to the tip of the tongue. This guy's from the bottom of his lip to the tip of the tongue is four inches. Crazy, crazy. Uh, he has a nickname in California called The Lick. <laughs> True story, I just thought I'd throw that out there. This next person, this is Lindsay Lindbergh, and she has the most apples crushed with a, her biceps in one minute, okay? Now, I photoshopped those apples in there because the apples don't deserve that. What did they do to her? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, but that's Lindsay Lindbergh, for reals. Eight, by the way, that's the record. Eight in one minute. All right, this next guy, Pastor Matt would appreciate this. He's not here this morning. The longest golf club. Longest golf club, okay? This is not a Photoshop picture. This golf club is 14 feet, five inches long. And according to the Guinness records, he uses this club to hit balls flying over 500 feet, 542 feet. Yeah, so that's, that's the secret. Now I know, now I know. This last one, this one's weird, man. <laughs> this one's weird. This is the Duchess, right? The world's longest fingernails, okay? Think about all the things that you do in regular life, right? Some of them I won't mention from here, that you need your hands for. Like, what does she do? Why does she do this? I don't know. Oh, never mind. She's from Vegas. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but we are drawn to extremes, aren't we? There's this guy that I know, and actually Matt's talked about him before. Pastor Matt's talked about him before. His name is Thomas Kincaid. And this was the story that Matt told a few months ago. It might have been even been sooner than that, where Matt was coming into the office, right, into the church office, and there's a homeless man that's sleeping by one of the doors. And he, he's kind of like, okay, well, he's, he's going to do his own thing. I'm going to go in, the lo in my office. I'm going to shut the door so I can't see him. This guy, Tom, 
He sees him, he picks him up, and within the course of two hours has driven this guy from Vero Beach, Florida to Orlando, Florida, led him to Christ, okay, and reunited him with his family. Like, Tom is like the bomb.com, you know what I'm saying? Like, if there is anyone that I want to be like, Tom is this guy, because he's, he's just an extreme guy in general, all right? Now, when you look at him, he looks ordinary, right? Except he's got awesome forearms. I don't know why, like, he does welding or something, but he's got incredible forearms. And, but Tom, like, once you start talking to him, everything about Tom is awesome, okay? Once he told me he eats lobster, which I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine, until he tells me that he goes back into the pond, like the retention pond, outside of the nuclear power plant that he's been working at, to go diving for the lobster that he's eating for dinner. He climbs the fence after it's closed, dives for the lobster and eats it. I'm like, Tom, why aren't you like in federal prison, man? Like, this is crazy. He gets his steak totally rare, okay? He orders the steak rare, like the restaurants won't serve it. So he's like, okay, put it for as little time as you possibly can on the frying pan and just flip that thing over and serve it to me on my plate. That's how I want it, right? And then he'd go to the pepper and he'd try to shake some out, and he'd go, nah. And he just takes off the top of the pepper and pours it over the top of the steak, right? <laughs> Melly knows I'm talking about. Tom is an awesome, awesome guy. But Tom is also one of these people that, like, when you hear him pray, it's not like, oh, God, our Father, you art in heaven. You know, he's not like this really grandiose prayer, right? It's just like he opens his heart to God. There is this conversation you're like, you're almost like, I don't even know if I should be here right now. Like, this is like awesome. Like, there is this connection that's going on with God. And I just want to like stick my finger in the connection and hope some of it drips out on me. And that's just who he is. He intentionally lives his life and his relationships and everything filled with the spirit of God. It's awesome. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Acts 2. And we're going to take a couple of minutes. And while you're opening them up, I'm going to give you some background here. I just want you to imagine the scene of what the disciples have gone through this, through uh, so far. Jesus Christ, the one that they have spent the last three years of their lives with. Okay, they've dropped everything that was going on before and they have followed this guy. They've dedicated their life to him, just ascended into heaven. You saw it with their own eyes. They saw it with their own eyes. The people who had become as close as their own family were gathered in Jerusalem in someone's house, just waiting. You know what that something is because Jesus told you that it was coming, right? It was the counselor, but you don't really know like what exactly that is. Like they're just going to send some weird psychiatrist and like, you know, who knows, right? So they're waiting, but they don't really know really quite for what, right? So they're hanging out in Jerusalem, just like Jesus told them to. Maybe they're getting tired of wondering, like, how many more days? Because Jesus wasn't like, hey, uh, you know, in 42 hours and 32 minutes, like, this is happening, guys. Get ready. It's happening. Put on the countdown right now. It's happening. He just goes, it's coming. And so they are waiting exactly like they're supposed to do. And that's where we pick up in Acts 2, 1 through 21. And this is awesome. They were completely amazed how can they be this explained? Oh, I'm missing some scripture here. Let me look back here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a loud sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
crazy. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they, uh, there were they were staying in Jerusalem, uh, the God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the loud sound of the wind coming through the building, a crowd gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these, aren't these the same people who are speaking Galilean? Speaking Galileans? Like, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? All right, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and the residents of the Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, <laughs> Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, uh, some, however, made fun of them. <laughs> I think this is really awesome. <laughs> some made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. They are wasted. <laughs> then, that, that's the NIV translation. I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> then Peter stood up with the 11 and raised his voice. Man, I hope you guys read your Bibles. This is so funny. <laughs> and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only 9 a.m. <laughs> like, that was his answer. It's only 9 in the morning. <laughs> no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show the wonders in the heavens above and the signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. The disciples were in an interesting circumstance. Just imagine being there. Suddenly, the entire house that you are in is filled with this, this loud, roaring wind like you forgot to board up your windows during a hurricane, right? It's, uh, it's just rushing through. This morning, I heard a little bit of loud, loud rushing wind. Anyone hear that? That was crazy. My phone was going off with tornado alerts and all that stuff. Wind is incredibly powerful. But I think what's the, the coolest part of this story is what happens a few chapters before this, right? Because this is like the moment for the disciples. This is the moment for the church, right? When they received the Holy Spirit. These are the same guys that though they had given up their lives to follow Jesus, were the ones that were running for the hills, right? These were the same ones that were abandoning Jesus as soon as he was arrested. And here were these guys experiencing something that was going to empower their ordinary lives to be lived 
in a radical servitude to the Spirit. The Spirit working through them in incredible ways. From this point on, the disciples in the world itself was never the same. Never the same. Think about it. Stephen, right? He goes out. He's the first one to die for his faith that was not Jesus. Right? He died. Peter was this wishy-washy, like, I'm going to cut off your ear kind of guy. Right? He's the one that walks out on the water but then sinks and, you know, all this stuff is happening. He's the one that's denying Jesus three times. He goes out and suddenly he is a changed, courageous, bold man. Paul, who was formerly Saul, right? He goes out. He's the one that's been killing Christians, been killing the people who are following Christ and becomes a Christ follower himself. That's crazy. That is crazy. They were no longer scattered. They were no longer shy. They were no longer confused. They were bold and inspired and began to declare and live the gospel of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was contagious, contagious. Verse 41 down in the second chapter of Acts says that that they go out and they start to preach. In that first day, 3,000 people gave their life to Christ. 3,000 people, like this is This is crazy. People down here getting a shower because I'm just like in this right now. 3,000 people, something incredible happened and their lives were filled with the Holy Spirit, with incredible power. Today's the day of Pentecost. It's the day that we celebrate the birth of the church and we celebrate the Spirit coming into our lives as Christians. The problem is a lot of us (laughs) define our encounter with the Spirit as God opening up a parking spot in the front of H-E-B when we pull in. <laughs> and somehow this, this thing that has just happened to the disciples, this, this crazy, earth-shattering, world-changing, life-changing, 3,000 people getting saved, tongues of fire, languages understood, like that kind of spirit power is something that we hear about but never really experience in our day-to-day lives. It makes us wonder, Is he still there, or are we not as open to him as we might have thought? Or in spirit language, a lot of the wisdom literature and things like that, it's her. (laughs) The spirit is a her. Is she still here, or are we not as open to her as we might have thought? I think we can learn a few things, well, a lot of things from this passage. But first of all, let's take a look at how Luke, who's the author of Acts, defines the spirit, right? Sometimes we add words to who God is, help us describe who God is, even though we could never like actually describe how awesome and incredible and great and mighty he is. We use words sometimes to help us understand just tidbits of what God has revealed to us about who he is. He describes the spirit as wind and fire, right? Came in with like a mighty windstorm, roaring and loud, tongues of fire that that rested on each of the disciples. It's interesting that it talks about a windstorm. In Greek, the word that they use for wind can also be translated as breath, which is really, really cool. It's also remarkably similar to the word that that is for spirit, okay? And in Hebrew, spirit, wind, and breath in the Old Testament, they're all the same word. (laughs) Like, it's really cool. So it, it totally transforms even the way that you, you read scripture. Because you open up the book of Genesis in 2.7 and it says, the Lord God then formed man from the dust. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. Like that breath, he 
he breathed on him, right? His spirit came out and turned something that was a, a, a lifeless corpse into something that was a person that had an identity. Identifying the spirit as wind reminds us that even though the spirit is invisible, its effects are not invisible. Even though the spirit is invisible, its effects are not invisible. When the spirit came into the room, it came in with a loud roar, right? I imagine parchment like coming up off tables and robes whipping and beards doing awesome dancing things. It was happening, right? There was a, a visible effect. Some of our teenagers joined together uh, this past Wednesday night and helped us see the effects of an invisible wind. And we're going to take a look at that right now. The effects of wind are pretty easy to see, right? Pretty easy to see. The effects are pretty easy to see in the lives of the disciples as well. We see them shy and scattered before, and we see them bold and courageous afterward. Let me ask you guys a question. If you are a Christian and the spirit of the living God has come inside of your heart, the, ins the spirit of the invisible God has come inside your heart, what effect is God working through you? In other words, when people are looking at you, what, what effect are they seeing? Can, can they even tell that the spirit of God is living inside of you? Let me say it again. Can they tell that the spirit of the living God, the one who saved 3,000 people and called down the tongues of fire, language-breaking, barrier-breaking, life-changing God is inside of you? Because they should be able to. Fire. It's another uh, image that they use to describe the spirit. And <laughs> let me stop right there. I will not be setting any students on fire for videos and, showing, and giving an example for this. Just throwing it out. I want to, you know, put you at ease before we continue. Instantly, things start coming to my mind through Scripture. I think about Moses in the burning bush, right? The, the presence of God down on earth speaking into the life of Moses. I think about Elijah calling for God to send fire from heaven. I think about when the Israelites were traveling through the desert and there's the pillars of clouds, right, during the day, wind, smoke, breath, and the pillar of fire by night guiding them through the desert. I think of James and how he talks about even a small spark setting the forest ablaze. If the Spirit of God could be like a fire, it would be because it is all-consuming. It is incredibly passionate. Let me ask you a question about this. Have you given over every area of your life to God? Every area. Because it's really easy to say and incredibly hard to do because we are creatures of control. We like to feel like we have a control over some portion of our lives. And what it's really easy to do when we first accept Christ is to say, like, God, I want you to work in me, except for like right here, except for when it comes to how I treat my parents or how I treat my spouse or the things I do when I'm hanging out with my friends. Like, I just want this, or the things I do when I'm alone, right? I want to have this, and God, you can have everything else. But that's not the way that the Spirit of God works because it is an all-consuming fire. It starts with a spark inside of your heart, and he wants to grow to become everything that you are. Many of us live out 
balanced and ordinary lives. And we like that. We, everything in our life has a place, right? We have our work place, and we have our friend place, and we have our spousal place, and the time that we spend with our families, and then there's the time that we go to church. And everything is nice. Some of us are like, man, I wish that I had all of that because my life is just totally out of kilter. But for some reason, like the goal is like, man, I just want to have a balanced life. I just want to have an ordinary life so that I can live and I can die in peace. Guys, I got to tell you, like, the Spirit of God is not calling you to an ordinary life. He's not calling you to a balanced life. God wants to become everything that you are about. Not so that you have this little compartment that you step inside of and go, okay, I'm at my work, I've got my work self on, I'm gonna do my work things, and now I'm hanging out with my friends, I'm gonna do my friend things, I'm hanging out alone, I'm gonna do the things that I only do when I'm alone. He's going, dude, I wanna be every single part of you. That when you go to work, everything that you do to work, everything that you do at work, is all about who I am. So that when you're at work, the people can see the invisible spirit working its, infect, its effect inside of your life. That when you're alone, that even though no one's watching, he has set apart those moments for himself so that the things that you do are giving honor and glory to him. Francis Chan's got this book called Forgotten God, and if you haven't read it, it's like incredible. I love a lot of the stuff that Francis Chan does. I'm gonna read you a little bit of an excerpt out of here, because he's having this conversation with one of his friends, and he asks him a question, and I think his friend answers so, so honestly, like way more honest than most of us probably are a lot of the times. And he talks about having a conversation with one of his friends, and he asks his friend if he really wanted to know God's will for his life, like no matter what if he really wanted to know God's will. Now, I think if I, like, I just asked this, I was like, who wants to know God's will for their life? Like, oh yeah, yeah, that's totally true. I wanna know God's will for my life. But I think if we're alone and we really start to ask ourselves, do I want to know what God's will for the rest of my life is? A lot of us are like, well, no, because if I go before God, and this is what his friend says, if I go before God, I want to be able to say, God, I didn't know that you wanted me to do that. Because here's the thing about God, he's not going to call you to an ordinary life, right? He's going to use your ordinary life and your ordinary circumstances in extraordinary, radical ways. And sometimes that means stepping outside of our comfort zone. And so one of the questions that I want us to ask today is, do we really want to know the will, for, will of God in our lives? Do we really want to know that he wants us to take steps into deeper waters than we have, have ever known before? Now, some of you guys, I don't know how many of you guys actually use the notes that are inside of your bulletins, but some of you guys might be looking at the sermon title going, it's called, So You Want to Be a Sailor. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does this have to do with anything that we've talked about so far? I got a, uh, a party trick I want to show you for the next Nazarene potluck that you attend. These are bags that I s did not steal from Kroger last night. I bought a watermelon and wrapped a watermelon inside of them so I could take out extra bags. <laughs> Tru hey, truth, truth, all right? 
If I were to ask you to blow up this bag as fast as you possibly could, how would you do it? Most of us, we would open this area, like you have to actually blow it, right? You can't like shake it. But most of us would put our mouth right up to it and go, if I pass out, catch me. And we would get it, right? And that's cool, like man, like you got a lot of lung power, you can fill that thing up really fast. But what if I told you, if you challenge someone else at your next Nazarene potluck, and you say, I bet you I can blow up this bag faster than you. Don't bet anything, because it's a Nazarene potluck, all right? But you challenge them. They start to blow, and you just hold your bag back and go, it's done. It's done. Now, what does that have to do with being a sailor? A lot of times, when we are living our lives, we have this sailboat, right? And we're going, God, I want you to take me wherever you want me to go. And we say it with our our mouths, right? But then we stand behind our own sails going, you're going, God, why, how come I don't have this 3,000 people saving fire coming down from heaven in flames of tongues resting on people kind of spirit of God living and working inside of my lives? And he's going, you're blowing your own sailboat. Like, you have the sails there. You have them. And the spirit of the living God is working and moving everywhere all around you. But you're choosing to blow it yourself. You've got your sails set in the wrong direction. And sometimes what we need to do is stop blowing it ourselves. And we need to take a step back and just say, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, Take it. Take me there. Set your sails up in the direction of the Spirit. This morning, uh, I want to invite you on a journey that we're going to be taking over the next couple weeks. This entire, uh, entire series that's, that we're in, Ordinary Radicals, is all about taking those ordinary circumstances in life, the ordinary places and situations of our lives and letting God radically change the way that we function in those. That we become so sold out, so filled with the spirit of God that he radically changes those situations and circumstances in our lives, in our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, all of those places. And I want to invite you on that journey with me. The band is coming up, and we're about to play a song called Oceans, one of my favorite songs in the world. It's a great song, which pretty much is, as sailors, it's like, man, it's our anthem. It's our anthem. We're going to read the chorus of the song really quickly before they begin. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. That my faith would be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. That's a hard thing to ask, to ask honestly. Because it's that whole thing of asking God, do you really want to know the will of God for your life? because sometimes those deeper places are not easy places, but they are world-changing places. When God takes you into those circumstances, 
and you say, Spirit of God, work in me and work through me. This is all for your glory and not anything about myself. God not only changes and radically reorganizes your life, but he changes those that are all around you. Those that are in your workplace, those that are in your friendships, those that are in your family or your, your marriage. If you wanna join me on this journey, I'm gonna ask, we're not gonna do a traditional prayer or response, but you are more than welcome to respond through prayer if you want to. But here's what we're gonna do. As we sing this song and the chorus comes up, right? The sailor's anthem. What I'm gonna ask you to do is just raise your hand. It has nothing to do with the person next to you. It has nothing to do with like, hey, look at me, this is awesome. This is between you and God, just saying, God, wherever I am right now, whatever's going on inside of my life, like I'm on this journey with you. I wanna set my sail in the direction of your spirit. I want you to take me wherever it is that you would like me to go. Let's sing. <laughs>